Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Hi, we're in uh, Inc. Monterrey, the um, uh, biggest uh, entrepreneurship festival in Latin America. And today uh, I have uh, a visitor, Tonika Chick Clayton. Um, hi, Tonika. Hi, Jose. So, Tonika is managing partner at our New Schools Venture Fund. So, uh, Tonika, my first question is what is New Schools Venture Fund? So, New Schools Venture Fund is a venture philanthropy um, that's based in the United States that's focused on uh, helping every child graduate uh, high school prepared and ready to achieve their most ambitious dreams and goals. And um, right now, we fundamentally, fundamentally believe that our education system is broken and does not um, provide a high quality education to all students, especially students in underserved communities. And so New Schools Venture Fund, we invest in entrepreneurs that are building innovative school models uh, to, to better support students from underserved populations. We also uh, believe that EdTech is an integral part of the student learning experience in classrooms. And so we also invest in educators or in entrepreneurs that are building innovative ed tech tools to support students and, and teachers in the classroom environment. And uh, so we uh, fund quite a few companies. And over the past four and a half years, I've invested in about 84 companies uh, that um, most of them are based in the United States, but some of them are based across um, around the world and are, are uh, serving some students in the United States. Uh, but yeah, so I lead our ed tech investment area at New Schools Venture Fund. And um, New Schools Venture Fund is part of a largest uh, venture of found, or is it uh, related to what? So we are independent. We're a nonprofit that is funded by um, uh, either independent donors or um, large foundations. Uh, but we have our own particular strategy and we have invested over $100 million in the last five years in school models and entrepreneurs that are building school models and then also in ed tech companies. And then we also have another uh, investment area where our, my colleagues are investing in organizations that are focused on increasing the pipeline of black and Latino leaders in uh, K-12 schools in the United States. But we're independent. We raise money. So we're kind of like an intermediary because we have funders, whether it's individual donors. Um, our board helps us uh, uh, quite a bit with fundraising. And then we also have foundations like the Gates Foundation and CZI who, who are funders of us. But um, we have quite a few other funders as well. When you say that the education system is broken, uh, can you elaborate a little bit? Yeah, so um, I think, in, in, and as a parent, I, I definitely see this. I have three kids. Um, my kids are 14, 11, and 7. I live in Dallas, Texas. And um, what you see, and, and And most recently with the NAEP scores that just came out, um, which is uh, the, the score. Are you familiar with NAEP and the, the scoring, the standardized test scores that they do in the United States, uh, where they look at math and reading level proficiencies um, over time? And, and all students in, in districts take these, these exams and they do, they do them every two years just to see kind of where fourth graders and eighth graders um, how they're performing. 
and what they've seen over the past years, uh, the most recent scores just indicated kind of this a flat nine level. Um, and then there's a, a pretty big discrepancy between the performance levels of um, predominantly white students, black and Latino students on the lower end in both English language arts and math. And so we've seen these kind of persistent um, and what some people have called kind of achievement gaps over time. And we fundamentally believe in new schools that now with the technology that we have, with the understanding we have of different pedagogy and things that we've learned from different school models in the past, that there's, we have enough to figure out or to reimagine, like how can we make learning in the classroom environment work for all students? And, um, and it may be different we, we, we don't pretend to know the right answer, but we believe that if we continue investing in entrepreneurs that are building on kind of the foundational research that they know of what schools work, what types of ed tech, tool, ed tech tools work, and then putting together a school that's focused on meeting the needs of a particular group of students, if we fund enough entrepreneurs that are reimagining learning and, and reimagining what the school day looks like, reimagining um, all of the different components that are necessary to meet the needs of the students. If we fund enough of those, we think that in 10 you know, years or so, we'll have identified some really strong models um, that we can um, start to scale and promote and move around the country. Um, and so it's not to say that there are some you know, glimmers of, of light out there, and there are some models that you know, we've already started to look at and try to invest in um, and promote but there's such a long way to go. And so, but we still believe that, um, that teachers and leaders that are really focused on education and focused on meeting the students' needs, um, they're the ones with the ideas and the answers and we've gotta find money to continue to promote um, innovation and education to get to where we need to go and to fix the system. So uh, tell me about um, your um, cycle for decision-making on investment and uh, and how do you evaluate the returns of those investments? Because I imagine that the returns will not be financial, will be more on, on learning. Yeah. Yeah. So on the EdTech side, um, about five years ago, we decided that the best use of, of venture philanthropy, because we're giving, we're giving companies free money, essentially. And, and it's not free in the sense that we don't expect something from it, but it's free in that it's non-dilutive, we're not asking for equity, and we're not asking for a financial return, to your point. Uh, so the way that we decide uh, to make an investment is we look for areas within the market where we say teachers, students, thought leaders in the space are saying, we need better ed tech tools to do this. And then we make a decision. He's like, okay, so the first one was, was science. We did a challenge focused on science. And we've done seven challenges over the past four and a half years, one in science, one in middle and high school math, one for English language learning populations, one for early learning, one for the future of work, which connects um, K-12 learning to uh, careers and, and college. And then most recently, one focused on the expanded definition of student success, which is a, a big focus right now in the United States where um, a lot of schools are thinking about how can they incorporate social and emotional learning 
into the, the current school day. And so those were the, the different challenge areas that we ended up focusing on. And the reason we chose those is because um, we identified those as um, a high need area that was really important for helping students and underserved student populations. And so to get to your, your question about how do we measure impact, like what, um, and what type of returns. And so the, we launched a challenge and we, we outlined in the challenge, here are the critical needs that we've identified that we need EdTech tools to address within this particular area. We then ask the, um, we invite EdTech companies to apply to this challenge. They tell us how they're meeting those needs. We go through a whole diligence process and then we ultimately select kind of the, the ones that we think are most promising. We give them funding. We bring, bring them together so that they can learn from each other. And we build a cohort where we bring together the entrepreneurs themselves, but also researchers and other people that are invested in that space. So, and, and, and I'll tell you what our impact goals are. So, one is we're focused on improving the product. Um, every EdTech company is always kind of an iterative process of, of improving products. Um, one thing that our golden star, what our North Star, what we're looking for is, does your company have rigorous evidence of a positive impact on student outcomes, right? Early stage companies are not, but most of them are not there yet, right? Let's be clear. <laughs> um, but we want to give them the tools and support to help them do that, um, to help them get there. And so in addition to the funding that we give them, we also provide research funding where we actually fund um, a research study and we fund other research activities to help build the entrepreneur and the team's capacity to do research on their own, but also to engage in the research process with the goal of everyone getting there. Currently in our portfolio, about 25% of the, the companies in our portfolio have rigorous, what we call rigorous evidence um, to that, that their products positively support student learning. Now, when we, when we lower the bar from rigorous to some evidence, it goes up to like 80%. So, and, and we recognize that when we're investing in, you know, sometimes early stage products, early stage companies, it's going to take a while to get there. And it, it's going to take time, but we want to make sure that we're helping them build the research capacity to be able to do that. So that's one goal is to improve the products. Uh, our second goal is obviously grow and scale the reach of these products that we've invested in that we believe are promising and helping students in underserved communities. So we, um, it's really important for us to know that these companies are actually meeting the needs of those students. And so we, uh, one thing that we do is we do these demographic reports to better understand the actual, their customer base and which students they're serving. Because we've seen a lot of companies that have applied to our challenges that have built business models that um, are reliant on either parents paying or reliant on, you know, independent schools, affluent schools. And we recognize that the business model will not even allow them to ever reach students in underserved communities. So, um, Making sure that our investments, uh, the products that we've invested in, are actually reaching the students that, um, that, that most need it is another key important thing. Another, another thing that we monitor and we track closely in all of the investments that we make, we ask them uh, for data for over five years so we can look at um, 
their we can look at their growth or, or not growth because we do have we have our little fail we have our running list of companies that have either failed or or stagnant as we say. Um, but another thing that's really important to us is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and. Um, we want to make sure that the products that we're investing in and that we're promoting are thinking about those things because we believe that in order for you to build products that can really meet the needs of the students you're trying to serve, your team needs to be reflective of those students. Your research processes needs to involve the students and um, you need to be in those classrooms and learning and understanding what, what uh, the teacher challenges are so that you can build your product and, and your innovations to better meet those needs. Because the experience that you'll get if you're in, in an independent school or an affluent school versus in a, a school um, that doesn't have the same level of resources is just different. And we know that tools that um, are co-designed with the people in mind are going to be better for those students. So those, that's an, another thing that we're really focused on with, is diversity, equity, inclusion. And the way we track that over time, um, we, we ask specific questions about team diversity um, and team diversity, but also uh, overall staff diversity. Uh, we have the numbers that come in, so we see things over time. Um, and then we're, we're still working on other ways because we recognize that that is a whole complicated thing that, that companies are, are trying to take on and really trying to deal with in a real way. And so we see ourselves as kind of our own work in progress as, as a, an organization that's focused on this. So we see ourselves as people that are trying to provide resources and support to help companies build um, uh build their, whether it's their strategies or their practices to support diversity, equity, inclusion. So um, those are some of the things that I guess we're thinking about in terms of impact and how we, we measure that impact. Yes, a very interesting approach for those um, uh, enterprises. I, I would like to add that I subscribe to that um, uh, approach. We are on the process of uh, finalizing the call for proposals of our um, accelerator. Uh, a tech accelerator, uh, which is focused on lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. uh, um, we'll have about 10 finalists that will do um, um, one week workshop in Mexico City, and then we uh, will choose three of them to work on a four month project. They will get some money. But I think that the most important thing is not only the money, is the opportunity of co-develop a, a product or a service with our continuous education area here in, in Tech de Monterrey. And they will have also a, a, a research group that will be doing research on their um, on their platform, on the results of their uh, technology and, and educational models. So they will mm -hmm. they will get out from this is uh, uh, validation of the product with their their um, market uh, of at least take the Monterrey continuing education students uh, some research. Uh, I don't know how rigorous it will be, but it will depend mm -hmm. on on what we have and, and also some money to continue and go for uh, more scale and, and other uh, possibilities of funding also. Yeah, okay. So um, that's one of the things that we have found. Also, we uh, have a lot of uh, uh, projects founded by Tech de Monterrey uh, for faculty members. Uh, we found around 130 projects every year, uh, one million and a quarter dollars uh, for those projects um, in teams around three four uh, faculty members 
and we do um, an evaluation of those projects using a, um, a guide uh, that we, we call uh, Scala E, which is Scala is like a stair mm-hmm. that uh, gives the idea of improvement that you climb the stair, but it's also a scale that you measure uh, things. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we did a, um, a we put a pool of these projects with experts to see what of those projects have more uh, possibilities of being um, transferred or uh, commercialized. Yeah. And then we did um, a regression to see what were the uh, different uh, uh, parameters of this uh, tool, this evaluation tool, the Scala E, uh, that had the most weight on the uh, decision mm-hmm. uh, on the, uh, with the knowing uh, of uh, the experts. And we find out that learning outcomes was uh, one of the most important. The other one was scalability, and the other one is the possibility of transferring that to other fields, not only, for instance, science, but uh, yeah. uh, other places. So uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's the stage we are on, uh, on our projects and looking for transferring. All right, that's awesome. I mean, one thing that I, we would, we've really been trying to uh, do a better job of connecting our entrepreneurs with other research partners and trying to figure out how to help them fund this, because... A lot of early stage entrepreneurs are, you know, just struggling trying to get their product developed, struggling to, um, you know, get their product out there. And then they're like, and you expect us to invest in, in how to do these research studies. And, um, and one thing that we would love to um, love for, we wish that could happen, I guess, in the United States is there be a better connection between researchers and entrepreneurs. Because what we oftentimes see is there'll be some academic researchers at a university that'll come up with a product that is not necessarily usable because they haven't, they've done it kind of in the, in the lab, but haven't figured out like, how can I actually sell and scale this? And does it have all the other needs to do that? And then, or we'll see teachers that have, you know, been in the field, have come up with a product idea that know it can work just based on their experiences, but don't have the connection to like the academic researcher that can, um, really help them substantiate, you know, that their product is working and how to get to the outcomes. And so bridging those connections between um, some of the entrepreneurs that don't have like a research ba- background, but then also the academic researchers helping them, you know, connect with um, entrepreneurs that have, you know, that understand the business side and how something can actually scale. Because to your point, if it works, but it is so onerous to implement that it's not going to actually you know, work in the classroom, that, that's not helpful. And then um, if it if it doesn't have a model that would allow it to scale, then that also, you know, is, is worthless too. Yeah, we're looking at a, um, like a matchmaking process of uh, researchers that have good uh, research and, and products, methodologies, technology, with uh, young entrepreneurs that want to do something that has impact in social impact, but they don't have the idea mm, and to, mm-hmm. to pair them. So we will be doing some experiments hopefully next year. So uh, I have to check back in with you to uh, see how that's going. We, 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 we can talk back like that. Yeah. In our net podcast, podcast in, in a couple of years. Um, uh, why don't you tell us some examples of the um, technologies or enterprises that you have uh, worked with that have been successful to uh, uh, solve part of this broken system that we have in education? Yeah, so um, there's, been, there's been several. I think one, uh, a couple that come to mind right now. So one is Flocabulary. 
Um, it is a, um, a, a company that uh, decided to use hip-hop as kind of an engagement tool to connect uh, students with learning. And, and it's funny because I don't know if you've heard of the musical Hamilton um, and uh, its success. They were actually started before Hamilton, right? So I, when I talked to the founder, he's like, we've been doing this and, you know, Hamilton is kind of taken off. But they, um, early on, they recognized the power of hip hop and student engagement and wanted to use that to help students engage with history and science. And um, they, they've started, they kind of bootstrapped their way up. We were their first investor, and they were, at the time, they really wanted to scale, and um, we're trying to figure out different ways to scale. One thing that the, um, the company founder really recognized um, as a limitation for them is there were two white male founders and you know white men you know hip-hop started in the boogie down in the Bronx with you know black and Latino folks uh, starting it so they kind of I think they felt a little bit um, insecure just about being white founders and then also not feeling like their team represented the diversity that needed to to truly engage and so um, one thing that they really focused on uh, when they were thinking about scaling is, uh, one, on the hires and sales team, they wanted to expand the level of diversity they had there and also on the product development side. And so once they did that and um, they, they started hiring more black and, and Latino folks, and he said it kind of took on a life of its own because the product started to change once they they had a different um, makeup in terms of the product development team, their sales kind of took off. They got additional funding, um, and then they ultimately ended up being acquired. Um, in the past year, they they were acquired by Nearpod, but their growth I want to say they grew like two to three times um, since we made that initial investment. But it was it was one of those uh, companies that really embraced kind of um, the the diversity, equity, inclusion piece as it related to their scale, but also to improving their product um, and, and making it even better for the, the communities that they were trying to serve. Uh, this is an example of um, uh, technology and strategy that you can introduce in a, I would say in a regular school, but uh, you said that you were also interested on uh, innovative schools. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that also the, the school system that we have has been replicating the same process for the last more than 100 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the things that you are uh, founding or helping to found uh, that innovates the school system? Yeah, so, I mean, this is great because, you know, people always ask, like, what do you mean when you say innovative, right? Um And, and while I'm, I, I'm not the expert on the school side because I, I do the EdTech investments, um, one of the schools that we invested in that's actually <clears throat> inside a, a traditional public school is a school called Solar Prep for Girls. And um, it's a diverse by design school. It, um, they make sure, and, and when we say diverse by design, they make sure that there's representation, represent, representation across the socioeconomic spectrum, uh, meaning you have a certain percentage that whose parent or students whose parents make below a, a certain income level and 
and, 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 and so on and so forth. And also they look very closely at diversity levels. So it's a very diverse all-girls school that's focused on uh, science, technology, and math. Um, and it's in where I live. It's actually in Dallas, Texas. Um, but the innovation here, interestingly, is that um, it is a, a, an all-girls school that is focused on STEM that also integrates a key mindfulness and meditation program as part of the experience. Um, they have a full-out makerspace where the girls build, you know, electronics, all different types of things. They also incorporate, you know, this mindfulness meditation work. And, um, and the, the founder is Latina. Um, and they uh, have been very successful. Like, over, we made an investment in them, I want to say, well, one— our money, like at the time, she was an assistant principal somewhere. She said she had this vision for this school, and our funding allowed her to stop working, start the vision, and get that campus open. And this is it's kind of um, how we see our funding as kind of initiating um, or allowing for entrepreneurs that have these innovative ideas to actually start these schools. So she was able to start the school within Dallas ISD. Um, which is a more traditional school district that had a superintendent at the time that was really that is open to kind of empowering um, uh, principals to, to come up with new ideas and to start schools. So this school has been around for about, I think, four or five years now. And since then, there's been another school that's focused on boys. And so it's like a solar prep and all-boys school that has come from that. But those, that's like one example kind of within a more traditional uh, district um, that, uh, you know, that we want to see more of for sure. And then I'll, I'll just add that um, we, we do, we have gotten to a point where we're wondering like, are we missing something? Because we want when we get these proposals, they don't seem very innovative to us anymore. Like we're we're going through stuff, and we're like, you know, we we're like, is there something about the framing of how we're framing what's needed as the ingredients of a school um, that's limiting the ideas and what people can build? Um, and so. You know, I feel like we have some work to do on, on our end, but I, I just personally believe that the generation, at least my kids' generation, the way they learn things, the way they're able to engage with technology and just, you know, call on Alexa or Siri or whatever, and I don't know if they use the same names here, um, to, to learn things on their own, I feel like that generation is going to, once they become the teachers, the digital natives become teachers, I feel like that's something we're going to see, like things we're not even thinking of um, in terms of innovative school models and how, um, how people want to structure experiences, but then also how to really integrate technology in uh, the learning experience. Hopefully we can shortcut the system and do it in less time. Right, right. <laughs> we're trying, we're trying. Yeah. So uh, recently you made a report on the use of technology in schools. What, yeah. what did you learn? Yeah, so um, we just, you know, as part of our work to really understand what the needs are from educators and students um, 
for each of the challenges that I talked about that we did earlier, we would do market research and we would do interviews and sometimes we did small surveys, but we thought it was time for us to do um, a more comprehensive survey. And we partnered with Gallup um, because of their credibility, the level of rigor that they put into uh, doing surveys. And so we surveyed over 3,000 teachers across the, the nation in the United States. We surveyed over a thousand principals, over a thousand district administrators, and then about and, and over twenty five hundred students between the um, grades three and twelve. So for the teachers, those were the teachers and administrators. That was uh, pre K through twelve, and we asked them a, a lot of different questions around their use of edtech and their perceptions of edtech, and so. One of the the key findings was that, um, and I think we were even surprised at how many teachers say that they use EdTech to teach daily. Um, Around 65% um, of teachers say that they use it daily. And and, and, uh, those teachers, um, 53% of teachers said that their students use it, uh, EdTech, to learn daily. So one, that just says in and of itself that EdTech is... A pretty integral part. And then when you talk about just not, maybe you don't teach it, use it daily, but you use it at least once or multiple times a week, that number just jumps up to, to well over 90%. Um, so that, that was one big takeaway. Another uh, point that, um, that I think sometimes we take for granted in the United States um, when thinking about kind of where other countries are relative to where we are in terms of access to internet and Wi-Fi um, I want to say over 96% of, of teachers, students said they have access to Wi-Fi at their schools, um, internet, which says a lot about the infrastructure in the United States, because just 10 years ago, we weren't, we weren't there. Um, and so there has been heavily uh, a lot of investment in the country to make sure that the infrastructure can allow for um, schools to, to, take, to be able to access the internet so that they can utilize EdTech tools. Um, so another thing, I mean, so there's, there's a lot that, a lot of different directions that we can go into with, um, the survey, but I think, um, some of the most, uh, most important points, uh, were just understanding what pe- teachers' priorities were when they're selecting digital tools. So overall, um, when we asked them to say, what are your top three things that you're looking for? One was personalizing learning, personalizing instruction for students. Um, the second one that appeared uh, most often was providing immediate and actionable feedback on students' progress. Um, and then the third one was engaging students in teaching and learning. And so um, it was interesting to see, you know, what teachers prioritized and then relative to principals and administrators, which slightly different but overlapping priorities and it kind of makes sense when you think about where they sit and, and uh, proximity to the actual student and what they're held accountable for. Uh, the principals, uh, they, uh, their top uh, priority was making sure they could provide actionable feedback um, uh, for students' progress, um, followed by does it align to the common core or to the state standards uh, or what. And part, then, part of their KPIs. Yes, for sure. And then um, and, and then their third one was in, uh, improving student learning outcomes. And then for district leaders, their top, their top priority was um, 
was, uh, does it impact student learning outcomes? And their second was, does it align to the core? And then, um, and then I'm blanking on their third one right now, but it was, it was like maybe easy to use or something like that. But like, you just, it was interesting to see kind of the different but overlapping priorities across those different um, groups. Uh, some highlights that came out. So it was important for us to get the student voice too. And, um, and I think generally speaking, students are pretty um, positive about ed tech and um, their use in the classrooms. Um, elementary school kids, they used it relatively less than middle and high school uh, in the class. And they wanted, uh, one question we asked is, do you wish you could use it more? Elementary school students are like, yes, like 65% of them or something said, yes, they wish they could do it more. Um, they said, you know, they're fun. The tools are fun. The tools are interesting. Just generally very positive. Um, Middle schoolers um, were generally positive, and, and th- but they said they wished the tools could be more fun. They wanted more games and things that could, would, would, would reward them uh, for their success. And then high schoolers were less about, I mean, they, they were less focused on fun and more like it, they want tools to be more interesting. They want the tools... Um, to have like practical features like allow me to track my own learning progress and things like that. So some interesting things kind of emerge from um, the, the student surveys that we did. Also, some kind of, I would say, mildly depressing things emerge from the, the student. We, we asked questions like, um, does your schoolwork make you want to learn more? And just, and this is independent of, of um, ed tech, just three out of 10 middle schoolers and three out of 10 high schoolers said that their schoolwork wants to make them learn more. Um, whereas the flip side um, for elementary students, seven out of 10 said that. So, you know, there's some shift happening between, you know, elementary, middle and high, um, their perceptions of, of, of school and the applicable or whether or not it, it it sparks curiosity and makes them want to learn. They, they don't see how they can transfer what they're learning to real complex situations. Right, right. And um, we asked another question about can you connect what you're learning to um, uh, to life, uh, future careers, and life outside of school. And uh, basically, that number was pretty low, too. I want to say it was four out of 10 high schoolers said mm-hmm. that, which, you know, it's like we can do so much better than that. And we should. And um, so hence why we're we're looking for uh, teachers, education entrepreneurs that, that can do that work. But those are some kind of like highlights and overviews from the study that we did from Gallup. Yes, maybe one of the things that can be done, and I've talked about this with other people, is to push down some of the skills from college to high school so that uh, what you see in high school is more like, I would say, work relevant so that mm-hmm. people can see uh, the uh, not only the theoretical part that normally you learn at high school, but also a practical, more practical approach. And I like this uh, uh, report because it puts also the student's voice yeah. very loud. And I was thinking also on some KPIs or public policies that uh, voice uh, the needs of students. Imagine that you can measure engagement, personalized learning, 
and yes. uh, immediate feedback and it's part of your of the things that you are measure as a uh, as a professor or intendant or whatever yes. that would be very interesting yeah. um, Tanika it's been a, a great pleasure to talk to you when arriving to the end of our podcast so my last question is if you can imagine in a 10 years uh the use of technology for these uh, disadvantaged uh, communities. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you would like to see that future? How, what's your foresight? Yeah, so 10 years, what I would love to see, um, uh, especially in communities that, um, that need it most, um, I, want, I would love to see the, the students in communities or in, in classrooms that are connected with different classrooms, maybe across the country, across, across the world, um, where they're able to um, learn from teachers that, um, that look like them. That they, they, they'll have an experience that incorporates teachers and people that, that look like them, that um, they'll have an experience that where technology can connect them with learning um, all over the, the world, um, whatever they want to learn, they'll they'll um, be inspired to really take ownership of their learning and have the access and tools that they need to do that. Um, the teachers will continue to be the guides um, and help facilitate what's needed, what's expected to learn. But um, the way it's done, it's done in a collaborative way where they're able to engage with their peers and other students. But at the same time, they'll have their own personal journey that they'll be on. So there'll be opportunities for them to undergo challenges and projects that allows them to learn not just kind of the academic concept that they need to learn, but also those other important skills that we know are important for success. And so I think uh, technology is going to play a key role in allowing the teachers to really guide students and help uh, personalize the learning to meet their needs. But also, I think technology is powerful in allowing collaboration and connection between students that um, are in one community connecting with other communities and other communities around the world. And so I think um, in 10 years, we'll see a lot more of that happening. We see some of it happening now. But I think the average classroom, uh, particularly in the United States, isn't seeing that level of engagement um, and connection. And so I think in 10 years, we're going to see a lot more of that. I, I hope we do. Yes. Thank you very much, Anika. You're welcome. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash podcast. Thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejía. Edutrends producer, Esteban Venegas and Christian Guijosa. Post-production, Max Perez. Stay tuned for the next episode of Edutrends and visit Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content.